electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of the rally after more promising inflation data has stocks on the move again. We'll ask the investment committee now how far this market can really run. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, Jenny Harrington, an all-in Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. I could not resist. So we are green across the board. 454 is the yield on the 10-year note. We tell you that every day because that's a big reason these inflation prints have pushed yields down and pushed stocks up. So I'm, I'm going to start with all-in until I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, you know, you, you deserve that because you've been saying that this was coming. That's very kind of you, Scott. But, I mean, you know, we had seriously, a- you know, at some point you ask yourself, um, you know, how far this can all go? Is it time to take some profits? Like Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey wonders today, opportunistically to do that. Yeah, and it's a reasonable question. I mean, the way I look at this is we're going to go straight to the bifurcation in the market that we all know and we've talked about it all year. So, you know, I'm going to start by remarking that NVIDIA is down for the first time, first day in 11 days, right? It had a 10-day win streak. Why can that not happen to the other 493 stocks besides the magnificent seven in the S&P 500? It's a rhetorical question, but I'll answer it. It can happen, and I think it's going to happen. Now, I'm not being so foolish as to say all of them are going to rise in the next 10 days, but these stocks have been sold. They have been sold mightily while their operational results have, for the most part, come in much better than expectations. Why is that? Folks, there's a simple answer. This market has been afraid all year of a recession. With the economic data that we're getting, not just inflation slowing, but the Empire State Manufacturing survey, retail sales. It is clear that as the Fed moves to the sideline, this economy is very far away from a recession and may well, I think it probably has a 75% probability of skirting through without a recession, that this cycle continues. And if that's the fact, those other 493 stocks are going to see their share prices catch up to where their operational results are, not the other way around, which is what the market has feared all year. All right. So, Joe, the bottom line is Jim is making an argument to finally buy the equal weight S&P, by all those stocks Mm. that haven't done well, that this is their (laughs) moment. He basically said as much just now. He did cite retail sales as if it was a bright spot. I mean, it fell for the first time since March. Okay, so it came in better than expected, but it did fall for the first time since March. There was Bank of America data out this week, too, which wasn't exactly glowing about where consumer spending is heading. Well, you actually actually have this perfect setup where the disinflationary trend is continuing and consumer spending is beginning to cool. And that's the perfect scenario. In addition to that, you have employment growth, which is beginning to slow as well. So, look, I I think it's important, especially after a day like yesterday, to understand emotionally never get too low, never get too high surrounding where markets might be. Yesterday was a phenomenal day. But I do think what it was was indicative of what I said on Monday which was there would be a moment over the next six months in which the Russell would have a very significant and powerful recovery rally. That's what we witnessed yesterday. 
And I think that is the first, the first step, the first bit of evidence that you take as an investor where you say to yourself, to Jimmy's point, aha, maybe it's time to think about rotating away from mega caps. Maybe is it? it's time to think about rotating into equal weighted and some of the smaller caps. Answer those two questions you so just the, asked yourself. The, the answer to that question resides in where I'm invested. So month to date, the Joe T ETF is up eight and a quarter percent. Yes, it was a very strong day for the Joe T ETF. Why? Because we are equally weighted. What have I done? The trader in me has tried to sell some futures, some S&P futures, some NASDAQ futures. Jimmy saw me doing a lot of that. It didn't work yesterday. And quite candidly, today it didn't work as well. So what that tells me is internally within the market, you've got a very strong market. And yes, Scott, I do think it is now time to think about making that rotation not fully, not completely away from mega caps, but now giving credibility to some other areas of the market which are now blaring, come by me. I've been wondering, though, Kerry, whether when we talk about a rotation, it's not a traditional rotation we should be thinking about, not from one part of the stock market into another that we think is going to have a catch up. Is it more so this time around a rotation from cash? and from other areas that people have been in for the better part of the last year and into the areas that Joe's talking about. The idea being that if the market's going to have a yeah. rally on inflation coming down and the economy hanging in, why would tech start to go down even as uh, elsewhere would go up? Maybe it just goes up and then you'd have money coming in from outside. Yeah, so it, it feels to us that we're in a bull market, that the bears have had a tough time confirming that there's going to be a recession or we really need to stay on the sidelines or we should be going more into cash or bonds because now the Fed has given us, you know, five straight months where they haven't raised and inflation keeps coming down. It just doesn't feel that they're going to have their day. Uh, yesterday uh, was a day that I think the equal weight was up 2.7%. Okay. Yep. So it was very, very strong day. 93% of stocks in the S&P were up, and that's what you need. Mm -hmm. However, as, as you pointed out, Scott, there's no reason that the whole market can't go higher. It doesn't have to be that 80% of the returns of the S&P have to be uh, taken by the top seven. You know, they can have 50%. That would still be double their weight in the S&P. Unless you think it's too soon to, you know, declare all is well. Like Jim is essentially no, you can't declaring. declare ever that all is well. Well, I mean, but essentially I he say, essentially yeah. he is saying, I'll, okay, I'll Feds. I'll yeah, I know. It. But look, he's not backing away from it. Yeah. His argue, his whole argument at this moment is Feds done, economy good, no recession, we're good. Yeah, but you have to worry about what comes next. I, I agree. I agree with Jim, and we have been positioned, I would say, toward a growth environment and a fairly aggressive market because we own these stocks that have, have participated. Yeah, no, but, but you have to worry about we, what could be next. We don't and think if the it's market too soon. goes to 20 Jenny, times Jenny, again, do you think it's too yeah. soon to sort of declare the all clear? Jamie Dimon says, quote, you know, inflation might not go away that quickly. Fed is right to pause for now, but, quote, they might have to do a little bit more. People are reacting to short-term numbers, and they should stop doing that. Yeah, I think it's way too early to call it all clear. And so one of the things that we did recently recently was look at our growth portfolio and say, hey, what's 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 been the best return this year? So we have, like, Meta, Uber, XPO, all up 150-ish percent on the year. Huge returns. Why? They all cut costs. 
right? And then you see what happened with Target today. Why is Target doing well? Why were their numbers good? Because they cut costs. And these are not reasons to be excited. So like, yeah, it's awesome to have a bunch of stocks in your growth portfolio up so much, but they're not for the right reasons. And, and I think that as we see you know, as we see 2023 wrap up, 2024, that's what's going to drive earnings beats is cost cutting and, and uh, reductions in employment. That's not good for the economy. That's not good for... Just tell, tell your guy Jim over there. <laughs> no, I, I mean, listen, Jim and I I'm argue about this all the time, and that's what makes the market. But I don't think it's all clear. Not to mention, which I've been a broker record on this, I do not see how we get to consensus earnings on the S&P of 250 next year. That requires 11, 11 and change percent growth over this year. There's nothing in the recent earnings reports that would suggest that we get there. You put an 18 times multiple on, on $250 earnings, and we're, we're right here. We're at 4500 $4, on the S&P 500. So I don't think it's all clear. I really think we're kind of stuck in this big range. So we were talking about this a couple weeks ago when Mike Wilson put something out. And I said, yeah, I agree with Mike. And I think if we get to 4,400, 4,500, I think you start to, to fade. He has and got 3,900 for the for the for this year. You, you agree with him? No, not necessarily that low. But I think when you bump up against the ceiling, you say, look, things are pretty fully valued. And, it, and it's not universal. So let's, I would bet you. Hold on. Let me just finish for one sec. But like, I'll bet you when I'm here next week, yeah. I'll bet you I've trimmed or sold a few things in the portfolio. And that's not. Saying that's not a broad market thing, but nothing moves in tandem. So I have stocks in the portfolio, particularly after the insane rally yesterday. They're up like 17% yesterday, up another 10%. Well, that's what Harvey's saying over at Wells today yeah. is like, don't be, he says it, don't be greedy. Yeah. And, and I was thinking yesterday, I was freaking out yesterday, sitting there saying, am I being a pig? You know, what do they say? Hogs get slaughtered. Am I being a pig not to take money off the table when something's up 17% in my portfolio or 12% in one day? And now, I, I'm struggling with that because I also don't want to fight the momentum. But I can sell high and I can turn around and buy low because everything's dislocated this year. And I think that this is the mark. That's what you need to do in the market. Jenny, I, 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 we haven't spoken in a little while. That's bad on me. But I, I would talk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm like, what's the big no, no, It's no, been look, like a week. Look, look, look. Yeah. Here's what I would say is you've got these <laughs> stocks that are going up 12 percent. Where have they been all year? Most of them, if they're the stocks that you and I are generally invested in, are down on the year. But wait, you know wait, what? Wait, 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 right. wait. Just wait. OK. You know, yes, in, after a 12% up move, they may go down 2 or 3%. That's what usually happens over the next week. But if you've done your investment thesis, as I know you have, and you believe in them, and you believed in them as they came down, don't sell them after they're up just a little blip. Now, I also want to answer your question of how do you get to those earnings numbers for next year. You get it on the back of the consumer. And I just want to go back to what you said about retail sales. Yes, yeah. down one-tenth for down last month. For the first, down, down. And, and the prior month was revised up by two-tenths. But the bigger point is, remember what happened in October. I mean, we all remember, right? The student loan repayment, Hamas versus Israel. Like, for the consumer to hang in there that well in October, that is astounding. Yeah, but the consumer's but, slowing down. So I mean, the consumer's sure. obviously pulling back. And, and sorry, one uh, thing to... Hold, hold on, okay, hold on. Sorry. I, I got I'm you, two excited. seconds. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about Target in a minute. Do you not believe that? you not believe that? The consumer is obviously I actually slowing don't down. Believe, I actually don't believe it. Here, here's why. All right, go okay. back a year ago. So, go back a year so ago. You so you don't believe Target's outlook for the holidays. You don't believe the real data that Bank of America has put out. 
You don't believe let me, the, let me tell the delinquency you why. information that's but come out. I, I get your point. Let me answer the question, okay. though. Inflation is coming down. The consumer is employed. Wages are going up. I mean, wages are going up 4% year over year. Inflation is headline at 3.2% as of yesterday. That means disposable income is going up. You're going into the holiday season. You're lapping last year when everybody was in a lousy mood. I think the dourness regarding consumer outlook is misplaced. That, and I explained it. I've just explained to you why I don't agree. Jenny, so, go ahead, quick, so I, think, I think when Jim says I think the dourness is misplaced, I would say the dourness is is overly considered and a lot of and that's why I bought Whirlpool Stanley VF Corp because the stocks are down 80%. I think the dourness was was disproportionate. But Jim, just getting back to something like you know, what I was mentioning before, we got Meta up 173, Uber up 111, XP up 155, Palo Alto up 85%. Like, those kinds of stocks should be trimmed. Then in my portfolio, those are from our growth portfolio. In my portfolio, the equity income strategy, there are stocks that have done really well. And now they're down to 4% yield, a 3.5% yield. You take some of those off the table because that's what this big rally has given you. And with 5.5% cash, you don't need to make those trades one for one. You can hide out and collect 5% in cash for a month as the market trades around. Ahead, I just John. don't think we're in the clear. All right. So whether or not some of us on the desk believe the consumer is slowing or not, let's just look at it from the perspective of what do you do about it if, in fact, the consumer is slowing? The market is the most efficient discounting mechanism. And without question, I believe what we've witnessed so far year to date in the Russell is the anticipation of exactly what Scott is seeing, what I'm seeing, what Jenny's seeing, what Jim is pushing up against, that in fact the economy is going to begin to cool. Is it going to go into recession? I don't know the answer to that. You're correct based on the evidence you have right now. It looks like it's not. But there are signs that the economy is cooling. And I think that's what the Russell over the last six months has been trading off of. And now you're at a moment where the Russell looks like it has reached its trough. And the reason that it has reached its trough is because now as the consumer begins to slow, what it does is it places the Federal Reserve in a position where they have to put their hands down and they cannot continue to be adversarial to markets. And the res response from the Russell to that should be strong. The, the Russell ran so hard yesterday, it might have pulled a hamstring. <laughs> it might need to relax for a little bit. We'll see. It's up. Strong it's outperforming. Today. No, it's outperforming today. The, the NASDAQ looks like it wants to go red. The Russell's still higher. Uh, I hear you. Let, let's zero in on Target for another moment um, because it's our chart of the day. The stock is obviously surging near 17%. Stephanie Link uh, joins us now. We wanted you to have her opinion on this or reaction to it first. Steph, thank you uh, for being here. So, you know, it's up a lot because the earnings, the, the EPS and the revenues beat. The outlook isn't really great, but we'll take it for what it is, I suppose, for this moment. What's your read? Yeah, a lot of the quarter uh, and guidance was in line, especially on total revenues and same store sales. But it was the profitability that was so impressive. And we talk about the power of operating leverage all the time, Scott, and this is the definition. Expectations for operating margins were 4%. They came in at 5.2%. Gross margins grew 273 basis points in the quarter. A lot of that is lower freight. We've talked about that. Lower markdowns, a lower digital mix. Um, and so all of that did help the, the, the profitability, and that's what's most impressive. Um, at the same time, inventories fell 14%. Discretionary inventories fell 19%. Sales actually declined uh, less than inventories by eight points. That's very favorable. So the bottom line is numbers are going up, probably by about 70 cents for this year. I think you have earnings power 
power of $9 plus for next year, just if they can do a mid-five operating margin, which they just basically did. Um, and so that is actually making the stock quite cheap at 13 times. You get a 3.4% dividend yield while you wait for the demand side of the equation to start to pick up. And they have very easy comparisons in the next several quarters. So we should see a lift in same-store sales. So, but there's no... I think it's fair to say there's no indication at this point that that is going to pick up anytime soon. I think that's, that's part of the point in the conversation we're having. High margins plus cost cuts equal 17% stock gain, right? For a stock that's been hit pretty hard. This is, a not, this is not a reaction in the market that expresses so much optimism about a consumer strength in this name. Let's be honest. There's no question about that. This is all about the company executing in a challenging environment and mm -hmm. controlling what they can. Mm -hmm. And they haven't been able to do that in the last four to five quarters. Mm -hmm. So this is beginning of seeing trough in margins. And then if you do get the demand side to improve, which, by the way, again, comps were basically in line, nothing to write home about it, negative 4.9, but the whispers were down 6. Okay, so fine, they did a little bit better. My point being is that if you have the margin side, you have the cost control side, you, by the way, lower markdowns because your inventories are so low, so you've got pricing power going forward, that's very powerful while you, you? wait for the demand side of the equa equation to actually recover. And they've done a lot in terms of lowering discretionary exposure and increasing consumables, which is what Walmart is. Walmart has much more consumables versus merchandise. And I know, so Target is like doing the have, right it things. Does, it doesn't sound like you have that much pricing power. I mean, the company itself is, is saying it sees weaker discretionary spending and, quote, deal-hungry shoppers. That doesn't sound like a company that thinks it has all this pricing power or, or the ability to avoid discounting as you approach a holiday season that the company itself thinks is going to be weak. Inventory is down 14%. They've been down double digits for the last three quarters. Discretionary inventories, I mentioned, down 19%. They are very, very lean. And so they do have the products, and they do change. They are changing the mix, as I mentioned. And so I think you, they will have some pricing power. But sure, I mean, lower freight costs, that's also a benefit. And not only to them, by the way. I expect that to be a theme throughout retail uh, earnings uh, uh, this uh, quarter. But they're doing what they can. Uh, you don't have to expect really robust demand at something that's trading at 13 times forward estimates. Right. Uh, the stock is very, the, you can see the power of the earnings. I mean, the right. earnings were, were like, are like 820 for next year, and the power could be as much as nine. I heard someone say today 10. I don't know about that, but bottom line is the stock is awfully cheap, and it, the expectations are extremely low. A lot of that is why the stock is reacting the way it is today. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, what, a, what a day. Um, I will see you in a couple hours. You'll be back with me on Closing Bell. So I'm going to save you um, yeah. and the commentary on TJX, which I do want to talk about. But we'll do it on Closing Bell. Steph, thanks so much. I wanted the first word to be here, and I wanted our That's viewers it. to hear from you first because you laid this out uh, yesterday going in. See, that, that's the difference. Stephanie is talking about the performance of a company and why it could be beneficial for a stock. You're, you used Target earlier as an example of, you see, you know, the consumer's strong. That is not at all in any way, shape, or form what they are saying. Okay, so 
I'm not in the stock and I didn't listen to the conference call, but I did read the news release. I read Mr. Cornell, the CEO's comments. You are correct, Scott, that he said this consumer is cautious. The way that caution is being reflected, and this is directly from his comments in the press release, is that they are delaying purchases, but they are still following through on it. And he made some example of denim purchases that somebody would have purchased ahead of time. Now they're waiting until the weather gets cold. The point that I'm driving at and bringing and, this and up. deals. They're waiting for deals. Okay, well, I, you know what? I, goods deflation has been occurring for quite some time. I mean, I, I disagree with Stephanie about the pricing aspect, but that's not the gist of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the consumer has hung in there. And again, let's not remember what, let's not forget what October brought and all the negativity has been out there. It's not surprising that the consumer might be hanging back, but if you look at those retail sales and on net with revisions, that was a positive number today. Positive number. Yeah, I just think it's worth noting, as Stephanie said, the stock is 13 times earnings. And what we're supposed to do is consider the price of a stock valuation in conjunction with its fundamentals. The fundamentals are not great right this minute. The fundamentals three quarters from now could look better on the sales side. Well, sure. same, same with Home Depot. I mean, minus 3% and had a very strong day because the market anticipates that perhaps things will get better as interest rates go down. And we know that wages are lower. We know that the job market is not as strong. That doesn't mean that at this price, Target is not a great stock to buy today. Right. And that's she, what the market is. She is did. making a yeah. fundamental judgment about whether the stock is a good buy, yeah. not necessarily reflective of, of anything else. Yeah, exactly. So you have TJX. I, I do. Uh, which is why I wanted to do it with you. Um, because that gu guidance there is, is weaker than expected, too. And then we have a bunch of retailers coming in the next couple Ross of days, Store. too. Ross Stores, Burlington, Costco, Lulu, TJX are all, all the ones that you have. All right, let's, let's talk about TJX. Let's talk about Ross. They're more expensive yeah. than Target, and they should be more expensive than Target because they're delivering to the consumer what they want, which is value, and the consumer right now is cost conscious. What happened here with TJX today is that the Q4 guidance was weak. Understanding this company, that's historically what they do in Q3. They go out and they offer weaker guidance in Q4. On the conference call, the CEO, Ernie Herman, said, guess what? The quarter's off to a strong start. So the stock is pulling back mildly. Yeah, it's near an all-time high. It's pulling back mildly <laughs> into, if you look at technicals, support of moving averages. I think you buy the weakness. And I think you said, and I know Ross reports tomorrow, mm -hmm. and if Ross reports a poor quarter and the stock's down, I think you buy the weakness in there. I think these are two companies that, <clears throat> given the overall climate for the consumer right now and consumer discretionary, I think you want to stay with these names. I want to do a couple of quick things before we take our first break. Carrie, you bought more Charter. Yep. And you bought more Charles Schwab. Yeah. Give me the reasons why, and then we're going to take a break. Yeah, okay, so Charter is a stock selling for 13 times earnings, spending a lot of money on capital uh, because of build-outs in rural communities, which will begin to reap great rewards beginning next year. Interest rates have been high. That's hurt them. And this is now a time where we think interest rates are, you know, slowing to coming down. They're going to start to see free cash flow from their markets. Everybody knows that people have cut cords. That's in the stock price. On Schwab, again, it's a low multiple stock, 14 and a half times next year. We're, we're almost through with cash sorting. I mean, people moving money into higher yielding money markets and perhaps those rates again are going to come down. They have uh, a lot of integration benefit from the uh, Ameritrade deal and we think that this is a premier financial service company selling at a cheap stock in an environment now that is going to be better for their customers and for them. All right. So let's take that break. When we come back, 
targeting Disney, shares higher as another activist taking aim at that company. We are breaking down the fallout. We'll trade some other names as well, and we'll do it in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. We're watching Disney today. There's the stock up near 3%, moving higher on reports that activist investor Value Act has taken a stake in the company, held talks with Disney management. Jim, I'll, I'll turn to you. We, we obviously know about Nelson Peltz. Uh, he has increased his stake in the last, you know, handful of months. Now you got another. What's it mean to you? I think it's good. I mean, I don't wake up in the morning and say, hallelujah, this is the thesis I was looking for. But I think it's good. It's clearly lit a fire uh, under you know, management's uh, butts there. And I think I think that's unfair a little bit. Mr. Iger's been doing a very good job. Let me simplify this. The name of the game here is streaming profitability. Simplify it, OK? Hulu fits into this, all right? And it's good that they're going to buy that stake, even if we don't know the price right now. But they've said that they will be profitable in their fourth quarter, which ends September 30th. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little accelerated. And this is to all the people who said linear is a melting ice cube and they're not going to replace it, they are replacing it. Folks, I get it. We don't know what the long-term profitability of streaming is going to be, but it's going to be positive. For the last year, year and a half, people have been looking at streaming as if it would never turn profitable. Okay, that thesis has changed. It's the reason the stock's going up and it should continue to do so. Jenny? What do, you I, make, what do you make of it? You're in it, too. I agree with Jim. <laughs> um, no, I do agree with Jim. But I think it's interesting because the, the lit a fire, not only has it lit a fire under management, but it's it's basically pointing out to people, look, there's a lot of value here. And so one of our main theses has been that the parks alone op, uh, generate $10 billion of operating income. So the entire company has a $170 billion market cap right now. It's like trading at 17 times just the parks, as if nothing else is of value. And so I like all this attention because it reminds us all, this is a valuable company. There's good earnings growth ahead. They should earn $5.42 next year, $6.58 the year after that. You know what that puts it at? 21% growth, 21% growth. And meanwhile, it's trading at 17 times. So I really like that equation of the forward earnings growth being in excess of the current multiple. I know what this side of the table thinks. I'll, I'll do, that. I'll do this. You can do it. You can do it. Okay. So because we were talking about before the show, listen, I don't know if fundamentals lead technicals or technicals lead fundamentals. I said a couple of weeks ago that my little brother from the 516, Josh Brown, who wants to buy this below 70, would never get the chance. And yep. you have a clear technical breakout. If I take Disney away from the chart, and I listen, I don't think the fundamentals at Disney are great. Personal opinion, I disagree with the both of you on that. But the technicals <laughs> yeah. look really good. And the stock <laughs> is breaking out. It's above the 200-day moving average. I don't know which one's leading which, but I'll tell you this, you're not buying this in the 70s. All right, so let me bring up another name that, that you know, obviously we talk about in the context of this company because of the space Paramount. Got now, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Berkshire a little bit later okay. and the new filings that we've seen from a lot of the biggest investors in the world. One thing that did jump out to me and I was surprised somewhat 
is Berkshire did not sell Paramount. Now, on the surface, I was like, okay, that's kind of surprising. But then I'm like, well, obviously they're staying in it for the same reason that you're staying in it. Not because you're so uber bullish on the company, because you think, like they do, that it's going to be a takeout. I, I, fine. You've said I, it. I, yes. No, no. <laughs> Relax. I'm not walking away from it. You're correct. I mean, I would also look, I feel a little better now than I did a month ago because of the free cash flow that was generated last quarter by the company. Three hundred eighty five million. Listen, folks, that matters a lot. All right. The company's generating free cash flow. You can do things with that free cash flow. I think now I think I don't know what Mr. Buffett, Mr. Wexler, Mr. Coombs, what they're thinking there. They don't talk to me. OK, um, but I think they see that there is a lot more value value in the company just looking at the cash flows uh, versus where the share price is right now. If it gets taken out, if it tries to go it alone, they see more value there. And, and I agree. Yeah, I don't know where Berkshire is in, the, in terms of when they got in, but. Oh, he's know. down. He's yeah, down big. Well, presumably, but why take an L on something where you still think there's some sort of strategic thing that is maybe more likely than not, or at least that's what the bull case is partly or if not mostly built on. The only thing I will say to that, it's very infrequent, very rare that I would stay in a company because I think it's going to get taken out. And I can't really speak for Berkshire Hathaway, but I've never known them to make an investment based on the premise that it would be taken out. This is possibly different. They've had some hints out there over the last few months that they think that's what's going to happen. So it doesn't it doesn't mean it never happens. But this would be a rare case, both for Berkshire Hathaway and myself, to have an investment thesis predicated on a take. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. The first aid truck carrying fuel made its way into Gaza today. The truck crossed over from Egypt, heading to U.N. aid distribution trucks with more than 6,000 gallons of diesel fuel. The relief agency said that this is just 9% of what it needs for daily life-saving activities. Until now, Israel had refused to allow fuel, warning that it could be used by Hamas. Rescue efforts are underway in northern India after a collapsed Himalayan highway tunnel trapped 40 workers on Sunday. Debris continues to fall into the channel. Rescuers are drilling, hampering the operation. Rescuers are preparing to deploy advanced machinery that cuts through rubble faster. Authorities said the workers have received food and water through the channels, but warned that some of them are sick. And Colombia is combating a problem started by drug king, drug kingpin Pablo Escobar, sterilizing hippos descending from the ones that he illegally brought into the country back in the 1980s. Two male hippos and one female have undergone surgery thus far as the government attempts to get the population of more than 100 under control. Back over to you, Scott. Yep, Bertha, thank you. <laughs> That's Bertha Coombs. Coming up, our calls of the day. One firm downgrading a drug maker it says is a value trap. Uh-oh, we have ownership on the desk. That means we discuss and we debate and we do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, calls of the day. We start with Amex, initiated overweight at Barclays, the target 184. Carrie, you're first up on that. You own it. Yeah, well, that's a very cheap stock. You know, it's underperformed. It's been a, a, a tough market all year for financials, and we need to see uh, a little bit of consumer positivity, which we you know, are questioning. But on the other hand, American Express, great company, building up the franchise in millennials and uh, younger people of money. And we think at this price, you can't go wrong. They say, quote, we see the most compelling value in AXP and rate the shares overweight. Bears will argue the company's 10 percent uh, plus revenue growth target for 24 could be at risk. They think they're achievable. Well, one of the reasons why we added American Express back in July to the ETF mm-hmm. was based on revenue growth. So over 36 months, the average revenue growth is 7%. This is a company that was benefiting from reopening from the travel enthusiasm globally and saw its revenue growth over eight quarters grow to 26% and over four quarters grow to 20%. The issue that I have and the concern that I have, and we still own it, is why there's been the deterioration in price since July. Is that pricing in what we talked about at the top of the show, which is that the economy and the consumer is ultimately going to weaken, which they are right now? Is that what American Express was reflecting in the price action in the last three months? Yeah, That's a concern. Look, I have. the wealthier are still traveling. I mean, you're still getting the American Express cardholder right. are, are still traveling and still spending money. So the answer is yes. And what you saw was you saw all the credit card companies kind of come down in tandem. But then once you parse through that, what's really interesting is. American Express services a higher-end consumer. And so as we're debating this, right, as we're duking it out over the health of the consumer, the reality is, is the consumer is wildly bifurcated, too. So at American Express, for example, you have 1.2% 30-day delinquency pluses in their credit cards. At Discover, that number is 3.4%. So American Express, even though they're down with their peers, their business is in much, much better shape. One thing here, too, you've got mid to high teens growth. You've got a 12.8 times multiple. Again, like, I think this is where you want to be. Growth exceeds the multiple. Okay, let's switch to Bristol-Myers on the other end of the table <laughs> as well. Downgraded to neutral at Canner. Uh, getting out of this value trap. That's the language they use. Jim, you, you have this one first and then Jenny, but you go first. Yeah, let me speak unemotionally, <clears throat> just factually. Over the last year, the forward multiple on Bristol-Myers has gone from 10 to 7. Um, both numbers are very low, but why is it? Why has it gone down by 30%? I think it's very simple, and it's, actually, it's also writ at most of the other pharmaceutical companies except for the GLP-1 producers. Mm-hmm. The reason is the Inflation Reduction Act from last year and the introduction of drug pricing from the Centers of Medicare Services, which in the first 10 drugs that are being negotiated included Eliquis at Bristol Myers Squibb's drug. Now, I'm explaining why the multiple has gone down, and I think that's the reason, but there is still fundamental value here. This stock's been a dog. I mean, let me not walk away from that. It has been an absolute dog. It still sports a 4.5% dividend yield. It's got an excellent oncology business, and people are not getting younger. They're getting older in the world. They're going to need more drugs, including the life-saving drugs Some that of Bristol... Us. <laughs> Some of us. Some of us. This, this conversation us. is making me get old, Easy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Easy where you you tread, my friend. <laughs> Jenny, you have it too, presumably for that 4% yield. 
Um, 4.6. And in a lot of ways, this reminds me of our investment in AbbVie several years ago, where the where the portfolio wasn't looking great, but they were generating unbelievable free cash flow. And the idea was, who knows what they're going to use that free cash flow to do, but they're likely to buy their way out of the mess they're in. So they're going to generate $75 billion of free cash flow over the next five years, 4.6% yield, six times earnings. One of the things that bugs me is that the analysts are like saying, sell now. I'm like, okay, so you all wanted to buy it, or at least some of you wanted to buy it 30% ago, and now you have a problem. But even with this downgrade, the downgrade now, um, or sorry, the downgrade in Target still has a $55 target. So you've got 10% upside if they're right, plus a 4.6% yield. The thing's already beat down to death. You know, we're probably at a bottom here. All right, up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. What does he think about this market day after what happened yesterday? Dow's good for 145. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now for his midday word. What would you grade this? I mean, if you run the 100-meter dash at the Olympics, and you, you know, break the world record, you, you, know, you need a little bit of time to recover before you race the next race. This seems pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad in terms of follow through. Um, I do think that yeah, at some point up 10 percent in, uh, in 12 trading sessions, you will have to you know, sort of test to see exactly how much uh, we need to slip back. But in general, the, the market has kind of just answered a lot of the complaints. I think that's one thing we can sort of put out there. Definitely looks a little bit grabby yesterday because people were, of course, fearing being, fearing being left behind. Faster money kind of reaching for like the massive number of, of small cap ETF call options and all the rest of it. Today, it seems a little bit more settled. Yep, still, still a little bit of a short squeeze going. But if you went down the list, and said, you know, earnings just printed another, a record quarter in the third quarter. Uh, the NASDAQ is still down a few percent from two years ago. NASDAQ 125 times earnings. It was 29 then. VIX is 14. Credit's fine. You know, you have to really stretch to find something that's immediately really starting to make you worry. Although... 10-year Treasury yields leaking higher again. It might just be corporate supply, uh, but you have to keep an eye on that into next week. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I was wondering what the Russell was going to do today, given its 5% move yesterday, which was just unbelievable to watch. And here it is, up another 1%. Yeah. What's the message in, in that as people continue to look at these, you know, beaten down areas? They cite equal weight up 3% yesterday. It's about the initial conditions more than anything, which is exactly how extreme the divergences were. I and mean, if you looked at, you know, a multi-year chart of the Russell, it barely rescued itself from breaking down entirely. And even with the rally yesterday, it was like, eh, still has some room to go before it's in the middle of its range. So I do think it's a, a little bit about they were in the wrong place and the wrong price and valuations if you have a reasonable shot uh, at a soft landing or at least you have six or eight months where it seems like the prevailing assumption. All right. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. That's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Up next, we're tracking the trades. We'll take you inside those latest moves from Berkshire Hathaway. Teased it a little bit earlier. We'll tell you what else they're doing in Omaha next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, so Berkshire's 13F uh, hit, and we wanted to give you the highlights. So they sold General Motors, Procter & Gamble, Celanese, UPS, J&J, &J, Mondelez. You own Berkshire, but GM. 
Yeah, if I had to guess, I think that he's looking at the labor negotiations and just saying he doesn't want any part of it. You know, historians of Warren Buffett will remember that he played in the airlines. I forget if it was 20 or 30 years ago. And he remembered how that went. And maybe there's some rationality to that as we see the UAW fail to ratify the contracts that have been negotiated. Um, look, right now, GM is printing money. It's printing money and it's buying back shares at about 60 percent of book value. I'm going to stick with it. But I understand. I think I understand why Mr. Buffett sold it. You know, the other point that I want to make sort of contrary to what you said earlier, which one of our viewers pointed out, um, is the motive of Buffett being in Paramount still, you know, allegedly. I mean, truly don't know. These filings are a little old. I'm, so you just, I'm all you just ears. Don't know. Um, he played Activision for the ARB. He played Activision solely thinking that people were too negative okay. on the Microsoft deal. Okay, good. And, you know, obviously that worked out. So he has played for strategic before i please thank the viewer I, I i take comfort from that point of view it was i'm glad you pointed out so thank you for doing that good point um Selenies, you own that i do he's probably a little regretful that he sold it it's up 12 percent month to date this is a material company with a reasonable valuation very well positioned very strong uh, balance sheet and having uh, witnessed strong revenue growth over the last four quarters. Okay. Uh, we also now Chevron. So trimmed his Chevron stake. He owns a lot of energy. Yeah. Well, Oxy, obviously. Yeah. Um, no moves that I can see here related to that one. He trimmed Amazon by 5%. Mm -hmm. Carrie? Yeah. Uh, look, the stock's been very strong. All of these have this year. Uh, but we think that the uh, the strength of AWS will pick up over the next 12 months. A lot of technology spending across, across the corporate world has slowed down this year, and I think that's beginning to improve. I think the consumer spending at Amazon is in good shape, so we're a little surprised that he did that, but it could yeah. be just pricing. We keep saying he. I mean, I keep saying they. it, too, but they. <laughs> they. Uh, who knows? They. Who knows who? <laughs> they. Collective. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the, the smart way they, they's. That's the way they roll. At Berkshire. Uh, all right. We will take another break. We come back. We'll give you this uh, setup on Cisco and Palo Alto. They both report after the bell. Find out how the committee is getting set up for those. All right. Let's give you this setup on a couple of earnings reports that are coming out in overtime. Number one, Jenny. Cisco, C-I-S-C-O. <laughs> Not S-Y-Y. -Y. I always say that just because I don't know. <laughs> that was like Goldman Training 101 when yeah. they would test us to make sure we got the right trades in. <laughs> um, so I think the risk on Cisco, frankly, is that they report really good numbers and then they don't get any credit for it because everyone's kind of watching with trepidation over the Splunk acquisition. But besides that, things should be good. What, what bugs me a little bit about Cisco is that it trades at 13 times earnings. Meanwhile, it's transitioned from a hardware business to a recurring software business. There should be multiple expansion on top of that. It should trade higher. I don't know, 15, 18 times, numbers should be good tonight. All right. Uh, Jimmy, you love this one. I do love it. I do love it. And the reason I love it, I was just talking to Jenny during the break. Um, Ten-year uh, track do record. Do tell. I, I will. I will. This is, this is inside, inside information. Since we haven't talked so long. Um, Ten-year track don't record. Talk, don't tell and secrets. I've, I've, all right. <laughs> all right. Let me keep going there. Uh, Ten-year track record, which is how long I've held it. The stock's up 12.9% on uh, annual basis. S&P is up 11.7. And it does that, that nice outperformance with 0.7. For beta, so you get outperformance with less drama. I love it. Now, once in a while, the quarter doesn't go so well. Once in a while. I can't tell you that the stock is going to respond well or, or not well to today's quarter. What I'm going to tell you is it doesn't matter. Think about that 10-year track record. If it goes down, that's a buying opportunity. Well, it doesn't matter. 
matter. If you're a 10-year investor, it, really, I'm not trying to be provocative. If you're a 10-year investor, it doesn't matter. I would never want you to be provocative. <laughs> I'm making bad TV. Palo, Palo Alto. <laughs> Little worried about this report. I want to tell you why. Talk to me. I am long personally, and the ETF is long. You know what I don't want to have happened? I don't want this stock to start to trading. No, I don't want it to have that irrational exuberance. I don't want this earnings report to come out. It's been a very strong stock. I don't want to see the stock up 10, 15, 20%. I'd like to see it continually steady. I want to see it. I want to see it steadily appreciate over the course of time. I think that's much better. It's better for the fundamental story. You don't need this stock trading uh, like a lot of the non-profitable stocks were trading in 2021 because that's not what this stock is. That's not what CrowdStrike is. The cybersecurity thesis is a strong thesis for the long term. I just don't want this stock going parabolic. I don't know. Buddy, this stock is too late. This stock has a beta that's literally twice that of Cisco. So buckle your seatbelt. There's a lot of things I want to. Year to date. Uh, Jenny, you want to give a comment on that too? Yeah, I mean, as much as I joke, and it's so fun when something reports and it's up 10 or 20%, the reality is that I agree with you. Because Palo Alto is a stock that you want to have in your portfolio for like the rest of your life. You know that there's insatiable, perpetual demand. But right now, with it up 86% on the year, we're stuck with a stock that's trading with a 3.7% free cash flow yield, which is frankly too low. So I'd rather, I'd rather not need to sell it now, buy it back later. I'd rather just hold it for the long run. All right. Um, you good? You good? Okay. Final trade. Oh, by the way, uh, Cisco and Palo Alto CEOs are both with Jim on Mad Money. So we showed you I want to tell you as well. Final trades are next. All right. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. Guess who? The Wharton School's Jeremy Siegel is going to be with me. What a time to have him, too, given this another market run that we're on today. Lauren Goodwin, Jordan Jackson, King Lip talking big tech. I'll see you in a couple hours. Let's do final trades. All in, Jim. You're first. Uh, I hear Mr. Burry's short on the semiconductor index. I'm going to go against that uh, long NXPI. Jimmy's feeling himself, don't you think, there, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing with fire. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. So noted. Jenny. All right. This is my, this rally scares me, so I'm going to go hide in the corner, suck my thumb. Enterprise products, 7.5% yield. They've raised that dividend for 24 years straight. Okay. Carrie. Um, American Tower AMT, this is a stock that has suffered for the last year, bottomed at the end of October, and we think because interest rates are going down eventually, it's going up. Joe. Expedia still much more room to the upside. Thank you. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive. 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.